experience 106 at home today. So uh, 97 feels pretty good. <laughs> you know, I uh, uh, enjoy this church for a number of reasons and the people in it. I recognize a number of your faces and I've seen some of you through the years. But one of the things um, that I really enjoy about them is you do have a heart for men. And that blesses not just me because I'm, I'm kind of bent that way and I think about those things, but it blesses the families that you're a part of. It blesses the wives and, and uh, the other people in the community because men do matter. And uh, this is one of the churches with like a 50-50 ratio, which is uncommon in America. It's about 65-35 in most churches. And um, a lot of things happen when men find Jesus. Uh, just this one statistic that changes through the years, but actually has grown stronger. Uh, I read from, a, I think it was a Barna survey, uh, recently a new Barna survey, that when a woman who's a head of household finds the Lord, that uh, 17% of the time, another member of her household follows her to Christ. But when a man who's a head of household finds the Lord... of the time, the entire family follows him to Christ. Now, that's not because men are more valuable. Uh, They're not. We're we're equally valued by God, and each of us has a joint ruling, don't we? We don't, as men, rule more than women. We, We rule with women. But when the men are touched by God, it really matters. So I I just want to commend you for um, your day tomorrow. I wish I didn't have to go back to leadership retreat. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm sure it's fun, and I'd be right in the middle of it if I didn't have to go back. But uh, uh, thank you for reading what the Bible says about men and uh, negating culture's attack on the boys. You know that um, the word... Uh, birthing stool. You remember, remember when Herod and Pharaoh, Satan, have all tried to kill men in the Bible? Herod tried to kill the boys. Uh, Pharaoh tried to kill the boys. And uh, he, he said, Pharaoh said something interesting. He said, um, get, the, get the male children right when the Hebrew women are on the birthing stool. And one day I looked up that word birthing stool because you, you really want to do that in the Old Testament because it kind of tells the whole story. And the word birthing stool is the same word that's used for a potter's wheel. So the enemy's heart is to get boys before they're formed into men of God. And if you can take the boys before they can be formed by other men and and their families into men of God, then you can stop kingdom rule in the earth. So all that to say thank you for caring about both halves of God's representation. God isn't fully represented with men. He has to have the feminine uh, part of himself to be fully seen. And and men or, and, and women and God has, has to have the masculine side of God too to be fully represented in the earth. So I just appreciate you caring for that. It makes a difference in the earth. And uh, I'm just blessed to be here. Whenever I whenever I come to speak to a God uh, a group of God's people, I kind of do the same thing. I start at home, I get along with God, and I ask Him, Lord, what do You want? Because it's not important what I want to happen here. What's important for me is um, 
what God wants to happen here. And so I I spent some time alone, as I always do. And uh, as I did that, I felt that this is kind of cutting out on me. Just let me know if I need to do something and I'll jump on it. I felt the Spirit of God whisper to me. And then how many of you know God whispers? I, I just don't. I hear God whisper more than I hear him shout to me. I just hear him whisper a thought in my heart. So I wrote it down. And, and here's what I believe God wants to do through this portion of Scripture for you tonight. I'm going to strengthen my people's heart for the harvest that's coming. I'm going to make their hearts strong enough to bring hope to the hopeless, to encourage the weak, and for the lost to find their way home to me. Strong hearts that will demonstrate my love for people. That's just a sentence, a long one, but it's just a sentence. But there's a lot in that. And, and one thing you'll learn about me is I love church plants. To me, church planters and churches that plant in, in new regions are the most courageous people on the face of the earth. You don't have to get sent to Uganda to be a tremendously courageous person. It takes stamina. It takes, how do I know? I planted a church. And it's just hard work. But I think heaven rejoices when a church is planted. I think heaven backs you. I think you can literally pull heaven down to earth to support you. And as I prayed for you, that's what I felt. I just felt great faith for who you are as God's people. And uh, how many of you know God stands up when, when you get oppressed? One of the most beautiful scriptures in the Bible is when Stephen's being stoned. He gets a vision right in the middle of being rocked to sleep by this religious crowd. And he he says, I see heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, how many of you know Jesus lives to make intercession? He's our advocate, our attorney. And, and as I looked in the scripture, I realized well, when Jesus rose and was resurrected, like we were singing about tonight, he said he was seated at the right hand of the Father. Here's what happens. When you get attacked by the Lord, but you're doing the Lord's will, and you get under it, Jesus literally stands up. Just like in a courtroom. If, if I'm represented by my attorney, when the judge addresses me, what happens? My, my advocate stands and steps in front of me. And that's literally what you can expect. I want to get that picture in your heart, because as you establish a beachhead for Jesus in Kenmore and Lake City and this north shore of Lake Washington, you're, you're, going to, you're going to experience times of discouragement. You're going to experience times when you wonder, are we going to reach these people who need the Lord? They're all around you by the thousands, by the way. There's no trouble finding needy, hurting people. They're all around you. And they've been waiting for you. But I, I, I tell you what I feel. I feel like the Lord will stand up on your behalf. And step in front of you, just like he did Stephen. Stephen was just preaching the gospel to these people and telling them the truth. And he came under attack, so Jesus just just rose up and and took him just like that. And he's gonna. Here's what he's gonna do. He's not gonna take you. He's gonna use you. He's gonna touch you and empower you and help you. And so, uh, I just want you to know that. I, I believe that with all my heart. Let, let me give you an example uh, before I just jump into the scripture. I will move kind of quickly for you. But uh, I want to tell you something. It's important what we value 
more than other things, right? Your priority of value is a really important thing. And when you want to walk in step with the Lord, it's important that we value the same things. And um, I had a good friend that illustrated this thought that I lived with for a number of years. He was a, a buddy of mine. And some of you don't know, but years and years ago, I went down and I, I uh, Trish and I were the executive directors of a youth ranch in central Washington, Basin City, Washington, called the Bailey Memorial Youth Ranch. 4,400 acres, uh, seven ponds, four miles of creek. It was, uh, I told Eric, Eric, you missed out, dude. You should have been older and known me when I lived there because there were pheasants and ducks and and cattle and horses. It was a beautiful place to raise my boys. And we raised, in addition to our own children, 60 other children were there on this youth ranch with us. One of the house parents uh, was a friend of mine. He was a welder by trade. His name was Dave. And Dave was a simple man, a godly man, a loving man, a caring man. But more than anything else, Dave understood the value of a human life. He had his priorities right. He had his treasure right. He knew that the treasure of Jesus was in a human heart. And he, he adopted with his own three children, seven other children. When I say adopted, he received them into his home. These children were abused, neglected, forgotten. And there was a family that came all in one a group today, uh, Alex and uh, Carol and Joe. And um, Alex was the oldest of the crew. And so Alex had the hardest time uh, adjusting to this household and to Dave's love. I think he was 12 or 13 when he came. These kids weren't in trouble with the law. They were just from extremely dysfunctional backgrounds. And one day we went to a men's camp. There were about 130 of us there. And I was speaking on the father wound that's in men. And I had a time of just guys sharing their heart at the end where we're going to pray. And Alex stood up, which shocked everybody because he was very quiet and didn't say too much. Now, this is four years after he's come. He's, he's 17 now. He's 17 years old. And he stood up and he said, you know, my dad, Dave, every morning at 5.30, every day, Every single day, winter, summer, spring, or fall, gets up at 5.30 and walks under the bedroom. Uh, we had these large homes. You can imagine 12 kids in a home. So they were like four, four, uh, 4,500 square foot homes. He walked under each bedroom window and could be heard praying. And Alex, for each child, you know, under each bedroom window, the girls on this side and the guys on this side. And Alex said, when I first came, I'd hear Dave start in at 5.30. And he said, I just pulled the covers over my head. So I didn't have to hear him. And I said, I just hated it. He was out there praying for me. And, and he woke me up. I said, I don't want to get up at 5.30. And he kept on sharing. And he did it the next year. And he did it the next year. And he did it. Just speaking blessing. Dave was just, the prayer wasn't long. He was just speaking blessing over all, each of these kids. His own kids and his other own kids. And all of a sudden, Alex's voice began to crack. And the, the place was, you know, crazy. Because uh, we're going to talk about the father. And he said, I realized that it was the first time I ever felt the father's love. And he said, 
It took me three years to realize that that was what was happening to me. They said, I've changed more in the last year because of that love than anything else. Now, why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that because one simple man had his priorities and values correct. And it made a complete difference in the life of one kid that didn't care. Or that that didn't care because he didn't think anybody else cared. Now, that same young man has a construction business beautiful wife, three beautiful children, and uh, and he moved back to the town that Dave lives in. And he's close to him now. And so this story uh, is going to have that kind of effect, I hope, on our lives. Uh, I hope that our values are just aligned for this tremendous work that God has planned for you. So let me, let me read this to you. Um, as you turn to it, I'll have you turn to it and I'll just share a couple things while you get there. Jeremiah 38, verses 6 through 13 is where we're going to be reading. You know, one of the core motivations of us as disciples should be to rescue other people. Because we ourselves, whether we take communion or sing the songs that we're singing or get in the presence of the Lord, every day we, we realize, I've been rescued. I've been saved. Somebody came for me. Or I wouldn't be here. You know, 40-some years ago is when it happened to me. And so there's something noble that God puts inside us, something great uh, that's inside of you. And, and we have to train to use it. And then we have to actually rescue people. We actually have to reach people. So let me paraphrase this setting. It's in Jeremiah. Jeremiah has prophesied to God's people, you need to get out of the city because the Babylonians are coming and they're going to take you all out. He's trying to save their life. Jeremiah is trying to save his people. And they're not listening to it. And they get angry with him and they throw him in a cistern. And that's where we pick up the story. Not for doing something wrong, but for trying to rescue his own people. And here's what it says. Then they took Jeremiah and they cast him into the cistern of Malchijah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse. And they let Jeremiah down with ropes. Now in the cistern there was no water, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank into the mud. You kids that are taking notes so good... You can see it all right up there. Your fill-ins for the blank, I'm just telling you. I was really good at cliff notes when I was studying in school, so it was always a shortcut. But Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch, don't miss that phrase, a eunuch, while he was in the king's palace, heard that they put Jeremiah into the cistern. Now the king was sitting in the gate of Benjamin, and Ebed Melech went out from the king's palace, and he spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they've done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they've cast into the cistern. And he'll die right where he is because of the famine, for there's no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed Melech the Ethiopian, saying, Take thirty men from here under your authority and bring up Jeremiah the prophet from the cistern before he dies. So, Ebed Melech the Ethiopian. He had a plan, and he took the men under his authority and went into the king's palace to a place beneath, in the king's palace, to a place beneath the storeroom, and took from their worn-out clothes and worn-out rags and let them down by ropes to Jeremiah. 
Then Abimelech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Put these worn out clothes and rags under your armpits and under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with the ropes and lifted him out of the cistern. And Jeremiah stayed in the court of the guardhouse. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Here's where, here's where the, the takeaway with Jeremiah fits with our own life. Jeremiah, again, was not thrown in prison for something he did wrong. He was put in this place and left there to die, because, not because he's a rebellious criminal. He's put there for trying to save his nation and rescue his own people. So here's what I'm saying. Sometimes we get stuck in the midst of our obedience, not in our disobedience. Everybody understands when we get stuck in our disobedience. But what is hard for us Christians to get in our heart is when we're obeying God. And it seems like there's no water, there's no bread, I'm in a pit, and there's nobody around to lift me out. And it's really hard on us. At least it's hard on me. I don't know how it is with you. But when you're doing what's right... And you go through these difficult times, barren times, hard times. You, you, it's hard to conceive that there's a God who really understands what you're going through. And I, this story is put in the Bible to remind us, I know, I care, and I'm coming for you. But it's meant to say something else. Don't ever forget that I'm there and I'm coming for you. Because when you get out, I'm going to show you people who need to be rescued. I'm going to teach you something from what you're going through right now. When the rescue comes, I want you to remember there's other people who need to be touched and helped. That's what church plants are all about. Reaching the people who are stuck and without the living bread and without the living water. In fact, they don't even know that he exists until he shows up in you. Then they know. See, we all get stuck, don't we? We, we, we get stuck in the middle of our disobedience. And, and listen, you're still stuck. Whether you're stuck doing the right thing or stuck doing the wrong thing, it's still mud and you need help getting out of it. And, and I want you to notice something. This is not the cistern of the devil. It's not the cistern of Lucifer. It's called the cistern of Malchijah, the king's son. Malchijah means God is the king. And so, that's what the picture is telling you. You're, you're stuck serving God. It's not a bad cistern. The, the devil didn't throw you in there. You, you got stuck there because you were doing what you were supposed to do. And all the more you should have faith that God is coming for you. If he can save me out of my disobedience 42 years ago, he can sure as heck come to get me when I'm stuck in my obedience. And, I, and I'm, I'm caught. So, we all go through this. We go through a fellowship of suffering. This is the pit that we all encounter from time to time if you walk with God. And I'll tell you the other thing. Jeremiah represents a word. How many of you ever had prophecies in your life that seem like they're stuck in the mud? I mean, when they were shared with you, you had goosebumps on your goosebumps. Your hair was standing up. Well, not my hair, but your hair might have been standing up on your head. Because God, you felt the presence of God, and then tick, 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 tick. Time goes by, doesn't it? And you feel like it's stuck in the mud. 
But I'm telling you that every word that comes out of the mouth of God is not going to return to the Lord void. Even if it's run through your sister, it's still going to come to you and God's going to come for His word in you to pull it out of you. Right? And so I, I know that you, you can feel stuck, but God's coming to help you. Now here's what I want you to see. The reason we're in church is because God has put people around us who care. And this is why you're here. You matter in the lives of the people God placed you with. You make a difference. Sometimes you make a life or death difference. And God didn't just put him anywhere. God will always put you where a real brother or a real sister can find you. And it might not be the person that you think it is. That's why I shared about Dave. To look at Dave... He was just an ordinary guy with an extraordinarily large heart. When I get to heaven, I'll be mowing Dave's lawn. I'll be mowing his grass. I'll be weeding his petunias. Because he had a heart this big. And in heaven, God will reward quite differently than we might. It'll be some, there'll be a lot of obscure people that rescued other people that God will be going that there, right there. And you, you might you and I might go, who? And he goes, Oh yeah. And we're gonna get eternally to find out, aren't we? God always has a plan to pull him out. You and your family are God's chosen method of rescue. I'm gonna say it again. You and your family are God's chosen men, uh, method of of rescue, whether not just your own personal family, but the family of God. You're a rescue team. You're a mash unit. Yeah. You, you you are designed to invade this community with the light of the gospel and the good news of Jesus, and to rescue people from hopelessness. And this is what happened. And and I just want you to see this. There's always something about the way God tells a story that makes a difference about the story. And he talks about the Ethiopian three times here. And he says, Ebed Melech the Ethiopian. Ebed Melech the Ethiopian. Ebed Melech the Ethiopian a eunuch. The man that did the rescuing was a slave that had been captured and wounded forever. And that was the one that noticed another man in trouble. That was the one. So here's what, he was God's chosen man for the task. Here's what I'm saying. You don't have to have everything in order to do God's will. Most of the time when you don't, you'll be the guy that God picks. Don't ever make a mistake with the gospel. God qualifies people on the basis of their heart, not their ability. He doesn't need my ability. I mean, are you kidding? But he needs my availability. He he needs my heart to focus on the same thing his heart is looking at, which is the lost and the hurting and those that need rescuing. Notice there's no Jewish brothers in this story. Levi isn't coming. Judah isn't coming. Simeon isn't coming. Ebed Bilak, the Ethiopian, is coming. And God's saying a mouthful when he says that three times. He's saying, I want you to notice this. The guy I chose was the guy they enslaved. The guy I used was the guy who'd been wounded himself. 
The guy I used to rescue this guy from captivity in prison was the guy who's still in captivity in prison, but he's not a victim. He has a heart of compassion because of what he went through. Nothing you go through in God is wasted. God will qualify you by the difficulties you go through with him. If you'll hang tight with God, God will redeem the things that you go through and use them for his glory. So here, here's how we rescue others from situations like this. Just three things. I'll go over each of them. I'll tell them all to you at once. Do what you can with what you have where you are. It's just that simple. Do what you can with what you have where you are. Thank you. It's okay. Each of us can do something. Number one, do what you can. You and I, we can't wait for everybody. Check this out. Everybody's not coming. Nobody came in this story except this one man. Nobody was coming to help Jeremiah. If this man hadn't stepped up, what he said would have come true. Jeremiah will die right there because there's no water and there's no bread and there's nobody coming to rescue him. I know that's heavy, but God planted you here because you're coming. Jesus is coming all right. He's coming in the end, yes, at the last resurrection and and at the restoration of all things. He is coming. But until He comes that way, He'd like to come through you. He'd like to visit the neighborhood that you live in. He would like to visit the people that you work with. He he, he would like to rescue somebody who's so hopeless. Well, you don't see it on the face because they painted a smile on their face at work. But inside, the Spirit of God in you keeps wanting to draw near to that person because you know that person is broken inside and dying to talk to somebody, but they don't know how. And what happens, church, is when you go through something, you have a heart that notices When I was 22, 23 years old, I I was just learning about Jesus. And my heart didn't notice much except me. One of the great things I got delivered from was me. When Jesus saved me, he saved me from me. Because it was all about me. And then the more I walked, the more I realized, it's not about me at all. And if I want to live a significant life, if I want to leave a path to follow for other people, it has to be about other people. Somehow, this precious black brother understood it ain't about me. And it isn't about my wound. It's about me helping him. So don't wait for everybody. Everybody's not coming. My dad had immortal words. He said it this way, move your behind. He had a way to cut to the chase. Uh, he cared because he'd been a captive himself. I told you that. And, and number three, he had access to the king. He had ac- The thing about Ebed-Melech, he had access to the king. Now, why is that important? Because you and I have access to the king. Instant, immediate instantaneous access to the king. You can be at work, you can step into the bathroom and you can start praying a prayer, God, let me help me. 
He needs help. Set something up today where he opens a conversation, we're alone for a minute, so I can break into his heart. You get in there with some ropes and start pulling him out of this pity's in, and you watch what will happen. Ben, I'm using a fictitious name, will get with you and suddenly you'll find out that his wife is about ready to leave him. And his kids don't like him. And he has nobody to turn to because his own parents are dead. And suddenly, God taps you on the shoulder. It's you. It's on you. I'll help you. But I want you to rescue it. Are you tracking with me okay? Is this alright? Do what you can, because each of us can do something. Each of us can do something. Ladies, you can reach people I can't reach. Kids, you can reach students I can't reach. You don't have to wait to be big and bald like me. You can do it when you're little and have lots of hair. You can help people. And uh, you can start right away. Number two, with what you have. Don't look for what somebody else has. Rescuing others, helping and encouraging trapped humanity is what each one of us should be doing and each one of us has tools to do it. You've got something that you can use. The Bible says everybody's got a gift or six. Use them. Use them. Right? You're never going to find any significance in life unless you care for other people. Caring for you will never leave you a happy camper. It looks like it does, but it doesn't. Caring for others now, that's a satisfied life. Here's the, here's the big thing. The most wounded part of us is the thing that God will use to motivate and anoint us to help trapped people. Here, here's a shocker for you. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The greatest thing God can qualify you with is the wound you carry in your heart. The greatest thing God will use to motivate you, listen to the words of this story, was the wound that was in his heart. I don't know what, what went on in this man's mind the time he was enslaved. I don't know what he thought about, but all his dreams of having a family were gone. All his dreams of being a father himself were gone. And, and I love this guy because something in him said, I'm not going to be a victim. I'm, I'm going to treat other people like they are family. I may never have a family of my own. But I am going to rescue this guy, and I'm not going to be a victim, and I'm not going to act like a slave, even though they've tried to enslave me. This guy was freer than the whole Jewish nation. Because he wasn't religious, he was a Christian. He, he was a believer somehow in the God of Jeremiah. And he said, I'm coming to get that unstuck. And it was his wound. That motivated him. Why did he have compassion? He had compassion because he'd been in the same kind of place. Ripped from his home in Ethiopia. Enslaved in this place. And every hope of a family being cut off. Sometimes we get it wrong. We think we have to get it all together to help somebody. And God said, no, 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 no. you you got it backwards. I don't pick people who have it all together. Right. I look at the disciples. I mean, that was the motley crew. He picked them because they weren't qualified. He didn't pick them because they were qualified. Come on, these guys were... You read some of the New Testament, you realize, these guys actually were a joke sometimes. And God picked them. And check this out. They became the apostles of our faith. 
every one of them was martyred except John. Why? Just ordinary men and women called by God and God used their wound and their incompetence to trust the one who doesn't have any incompetence. And it worked. Okay, so with what you have, if you got a wound, you're qualified. It's your greatest asset. It's not a hindrance. And, and you know the other thing that he did, the thing he had, he had others. He didn't do this alone in a garage. He started reaching for people that he knew. He says, you take 30 men. David had 30. It's pretty interesting. He rescued a nation. This guy went and got 30 and rescued the word. Rescued Jeremiah out of the pit. You have other people. Okay? 30 wounded men. They were all, by the way, eunuchs themselves. They were all wounded. The people under his authority were also eunuchs. They were wounded. They were captive. And yet they helped him. And then... Check this out. With what you have, again, we're under point number two. He had the stuff. Notice he goes to the king's palace and gets some old stuff under the storeroom. What's that all about? Let me just tell you quickly. Some of the stuff that we think is old and worn out and and not in, in stock is exactly what God will always use to rescue people. Prayer and the gospel. They're in the king's storeroom. It's just that most people don't go pick them up anymore. Most people don't get down on their knees and say, God, who do you want me to help today? What adventure do you have for me today? What human can I help today that I don't know? What step of faith can I make when I go to work today? What can I notice that I don't notice, that I should notice, so that I can help somebody? And you get down under the king's storeroom and realize the gospel is just simply about loving other people. It's not complicated. If it gets complicated, it ain't the gospel. Right. Right. And then there's prayer. You can instantly talk and access the king of the universe who longs to have a conversation with you. And he'll tell you, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Don't do this and do it right here. And you can walk your way right through it and rescue people that you never thought. And go home and your head can hit the pillow and you'll think to yourself, that could be the best day I've ever had. Instead of, jeez, I really need a new car. I really need a new house. I really need a vacation. You probably need all those things. But what you really need to do is go to bed with a smile on your face. And realize Jesus is using you. Right? I think Ebed Melech was smiling that night when he got this man out of it. People need to be rescued by people who care. And by the way, he had skill. You notice how he did this? He couldn't just throw a rope under him. He'd been down there soaking in the mud for days and weeks. If you would have put a, uh, a rope around him and yanked up on him, tried to pull him out of waist deep, chest deep mud, you would have pulled his arms right out of socket. But a wounded man, a wounded woman, knows how to rescue somebody who's been wounded. And so he got the gospel, and he got prayer, he got a strategy, and he said, cushion the ropes, put these old rags that nobody uses anymore, I'm going to put them to use again, put them under your armpits, See, nobody knows how to rescue somebody who's wounded like somebody who's been wounded. So, I've got a class sometimes at my church. 
to, to find out um, how you're gifted and how you're wired. And I, here's what I find out this is amazing. Divorced people have a passion for divorced people. People who are orphans have a passion for orphan people. People who have been the subject of racism and been a point where they have a heart for people who are affected by racism. You, you see, at the point you're wounded, you're capable to rescue. Because nobody understands what a person goes through like a person that's been through it. That's why your wound qualifies you and doesn't disqualify you. And last, where you are. He was there. I'm, I'm getting close. He was there. You've got to help people. You've got to uh, do what you can with what you have. I told you about what we have. And uh, where you are. Now, this sounds funny, doesn't it? Where, where you are. He was there. He happened to be there. In other words, you can help people wherever you are because people are where you're at. Unless you're a monk in a monastery not talking to anybody, living all alone in some place, in a cave somewhere like a hermit, you have the capability of being a rescuer because there's people all around you. And you guys got lots of people. There's lots of people. I got I, Walla Walla isn't a big town. There's there's like just under forty thousand in Walla Walla, just under eighty five hundred in College Place. They're kind of together, so about fifty thousand. You've got that much in the neighborhood around you, and we're not near them in Walla Walla. We got a lot of people left to get saved and to get rescued. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So if you're school at school, you're there. You're there, where you are. You're there, you're in school. If you're at work, you're there. Somebody needs rescue in work. If you're in your neighborhood, if you're leaning over your back porch, or your, your back fence, water, and, and your neighbor comes out, you're there. Yeah. It, it's easy. You can be in line at the grocery store and God speak to you like he's done to a number of people in our church and say, I want you to pay for that second lady back. I want you to pay for her groceries. Now, if you're not there, you can't help her. But if you're there, and God tugs on your heart. You can go up to the checker and say, that lady in second, I'm wrong. I got it. I got it. We've done that before. And we found out, you know, from the checker, she has eight kids. And their dad just left. Teresa and I broke into the labor camps one time at a church we were pastoring. And we felt like helping this one lady that was in a single white trailer. And uh, the place where we lived was a lot like McFarland, USA, if you've ever been there. And they, it was in the dead of winter, and they pried it open with a crowbar because it was frozen shut. And in this single wide tray, there were 11 children who slept on the floor. The stairs up to the trailer was firewood that they nailed together so they could step up on something to get in there. That's the best lesson my kids ever had. So I went back, took them blankets, they took them food, they took them... How many of you know we were happier that night than some of the best meetings we've ever had? Because we felt like we rescued some kids. They're all around you. There's there's young girls that are cutting themselves at school and they don't know why. They need somebody to talk to. Doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And they just need somebody that will rescue them. Here's what I want you to know. You have what it takes. God came out of the stands to help you and I finish the race. 
He came down out of the sand. He didn't have to come, but he came willfully and out of love to rescue me. Our life, your life as a church plan, should be dedicated to rescuing the people that are around you. Amen? Would you stand up with me? Prayer team, would you come up with me just to be with me? Uh, I want to pray for all of you. Uh, I want to pray for all of you. And then what I want to do is, uh, however, Eric wants to tie this up, I want us and the prayer team to be up here. Here's why. Some of you that I'm speaking to are currently stuck. And I don't want to talk about rescuing without Jesus being able to rescue anybody that is. So if you if you feel like you're stuck in any way, if you feel like there's a word over your life you just can't have faith for anymore, if you, if you feel like you, you you're you're not motivated like you used to be to help humanity, come on, we'd love to pray for you and lay our hands on you and ask the God that rescued us to come into your life and break that loose. And I promise this, we'll do it gently. We'll just use those old rags, those soft old rags. You know, Jesus. Jesus, not because we're good enough to earn it, but simply because He's good enough to give it to us. Okay, and I'd love to pray for you. I want to pray for all of you, and then I'd love to invite those of you that want more prayer to come on down. Just turn your hands over. Can you do that? In fact, put one hand on your heart if you would. Father, would you touch? These are your people that you went to Calvary for. These are your people, children, men, women, that you touched and rescued. And you saved us for eternity, forever. Here's what we're asking, God. Make us like you and make us like this wonderful man in this story who cared enough. Use our wounds, God, for something other than to play the victim. Everybody's broken, God. We all go through it. But Father, we don't want to be victims. We want to be your sons and daughters who help other people and who rescue others from the pit. Touch these wonderful people's hearts and motivate them with something that's supernatural. It's not mind over matter, God. It's you working through us. And we thank you for your strength, God. I thank you for what you're doing in this church, Open Door Church. I thank you, God, what you're going to do through these men and women. I believe with all my heart, Lord, they'll be there in Hebrews 12. They'll be in the hall of faith because they stepped out and did what you asked them to do. Lord, touch us today. God, we give you praise. We thank you that you live in us. We thank you, the glorious God, the great God, the kind God that you are. And we worship you today. Can you say amen? Thank you so much. You're amazing. Let's just finish with this song that we sang earlier, just in terms of what Jesus has done for us. And I want you to think as we sing this man on a white horse what Jesus is doing through us. For those of you who would like 
of prayer for what Juan was talking about. You just need a, a revival just in your own heart for those that you see every day. Maybe you just you're going to work, but you don't see God's heart for those people that are all around you and. You need God to revive something in you to ask the next question. To talk about, hey, this is what's you know going on in my life to share, to see the things. I want you to just come forward and just receive prayer from these different ones that are up here, but you receive this song.